Good morning, as always. It's a pleasure to be here and to see your smiling faces. I'm looking forward to the Sunday that it's not raining, because <laughs> it's been four Sundays in a row that it rains, and I'm like, ah, oh, and then we have little lighting issues going on, and it's like, darn. So we're going to get all that worked out and some bugs and kinks. Uh, just so you know, on the sheets in front of you for the worship service, that was last week's worship service. <laughs> not, not this week's worship service, so uh, that slipped through the cracks a little bit too. But regardless, we're here, and we're here to talk about Jesus, and then we're here to talk about His Word. And while the, the sermon text and the title, the main idea, the Bible transforms our hearts and minds for Christ, it's very, very important that you know the Bible is a tool. It's not the means of salvation. Jesus is the means of salvation. But the Bible is our tool. It's our word given down by God. And so the first week, we talked about the Bible being the indestructible and eternal truth of God. Imagine, if you will, an anvil. Tons and tons of hammers have come cracking on this anvil trying to destroy it. But the word of God stands, and it's eternal, and it hasn't changed. And it's been over thousands of years that it's been here already. And then last week, uh, we talked about how the Bible consistently points us to Christ. We talked about how the New Testament tells of the life of Jesus, how the Old Testament talks about the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, and that how they both work together to continually point us to uh, pretty much the whole reason that we're here in the first place. And so today, it's, it's along those same lines, and it's, and it's bridging the gap between those other two sermons from the last couple weeks, and we're tying it into this week, in 2 Timothy, which is a very popular passage. Um, most everyone knows it to some degree, if you've been to church at all before, but uh, maybe not this way, if you will. So we need to learn a little bit more about how Jesus uses his word because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. So let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be here, to be your church and to know you and to love you and to be a part of your kingdom. And of course, Lord, thank you for your word. And if there's ever a time that we've needed you, it's this time now that we may understand that the Holy Spirit may illuminate our hearts and our minds for you, Lord. So be with us this morning and let it all be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So just real quick, a little story for you, just a, an analogy. So there was a great prophet of God, okay, who told his disciples that if they studied the scriptures, the words would be written on their hearts. One day, a disciple asked, why on our hearts and not in them? Well, the prophet replied, uh, only God can put scripture inside your heart. But the careful study and reading of God's word for us, while we put it on our hearts, when, when our hearts break, then the holy words will fall inside. Kind of an interesting little analogy, but uh, um, if you can, please turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And let me just give you a little bit of background before we read the text. So, in the world today, as we see it, very much so, there's many different denominations, there, there's very many different types of teachers that are out there, and Paul is writing to an elder in the church, Timothy. And he's warning them of false teachers and of the days to come. 
And in this third chapter, there's going to be godlessness in the last days, where people will turn away from listening to the truth of God's word and will follow and try to find teachers that meet their own passions so that they can uh, kind of get their own wants and their desires filled. Uh, it's, it's, it's a sin thing. It absolutely is. And so... Um, Paul's warning Timothy, hey, watch out for these things, watch out for all these different types of teachers, and then he gets to this point where he's like, but you, but you, and so that's where we begin um, in verse 14. But as for you, continue what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so, very much so, uh, the first point getting to God works through people for his glory in Christ. And so we see this. But you continue what you've learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you've learned it. Uh, there's a couple ways that we could look at this. The, the way initially in the text here is if you go back to chapter 1, you will see um, verse 5 of chapter 1. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. So we don't exactly know how Eunice and Lois raised Timothy, but we're to assume that, that they were God-fearing, that they were Scripture-loving, and that they raised him in the knowledge of the truth of God. We can assume this. We don't know this for fact, but we can assume these things. We can also assume that Timothy learned from Paul, which is why Paul's writing a letter. Paul established Timothy to be an elder over the church, and so we can assume also that that, that is the case. But more so, I want us to, to realize for our lives and our applications, have there been people in our lives that have encouraged us or admonished us or, um, well, really... Uh, reproof, correction, have they, have they helped train in righteousness, have they, have they taught us anything? And so I know that there's a considerable amount of people that um, could easily have led us astray just the same, but there are definitely some people in my life, and, and I'm guessing that in yours as well, that uh, have really shown the, the love of Christ and the grace of God and the mercy of God uh, in our lives. Uh, I've got a couple just examples, uh, nameless stories, that uh, there's this lady that I know that uh, I, I met in, in my travels and endeavors, and she was telling me about a roommate that she had at one point in time. And this roommate wasn't clean, wasn't orderly, wasn't very nice to her, uh, didn't do a lot of things, but they were both sisters in the Lord, and so there was grace and there was mercy, and you know there's there's kindness and you know sharing and, and all those different things in that. But it got to the point where the one roommate was so uh, vehemently nasty and negative that the other roommate just had to leave for fear of being hurt, for fear of being hurt in in all of this, and so um, that's always scary in itself. But but at the same time. Um, what she said about this other one who, who she was scared of 
was, was so breathtakingly amazing because it wasn't about the bad that she had done at all. It, it was about, in essence, the gospel not being good enough for this person, that this other person who was so mean was just so bent on her own way that she neglected the, the grace and the truth of God and, and was so um, just, just flat-out nasty <laughs> and violent even. Um, but my friend was, was, again, so loving and so that, that she was literally in tears, not because of the abuse that she went through, not because she hated this person, not because of all the normal experiences and emotions that we might have when someone mistreats us, but she was so upset because God and Jesus and the gospel wasn't good enough for this person and didn't show through that this other person that was so nasty had to go and try and find their value and their worth in, in all these different things. And I'll be honest, that just kind of floored me because our natural human instinct in a lot of these situations is very simply just to, to hate or to uh, push away or to just be angry at and, and just be done with that person. But, but she wasn't. And she didn't want to be done with that person. She wanted that person to know the truth and to come back to Christ. And so um, that hasn't happened yet today, but we'll see. And we're always prayerful and we're always hopeful. And then there was another gentleman in my life that uh, just, just really kind of floored me. Uh, he was a deacon in uh, a church that I knew of. And I was really frustrated with... Uh, kind of the teachings and the pastor and kind of feeling put aside and, and, and put astray and a whole bunch of different things. But this gentleman uh, just kind of kept pursuing me and, and kind of nudging me. And when I finally said, that's it, I'm done. I'm never going back there again. I'm, I'm tired of it all. Like, forget you. Forget this church body. Forget all these different things. But that gentleman, again, kind of kept pursuing and kept loving and actually came to uh, my daughter's volleyball game where I was at that day and just frustrated and just was willing to sit and was willing to listen and was willing to bend an ear and, and just, you know, let, let me vent, if you will, out of my own anger and frustration, which still happens today. Like, sin is real, make no mistake. But, uh, Yes, and so in your lives, while these are just a couple different examples, there are certainly examples of people that can lead us astray, and that's not the point, and that's not what the text is talking about here. It's about you continuing what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from, from whom you've learned it. Think about these people whose lives have changed. Like even in the Bible here, we have our example, we take Paul, you know, Saul to Paul, you know, a, an evil persecutor that, that's life has been changed by God and Christ on that road to Damascus all those years ago. And so it's, it's just simply amazing if you, if you put it that way. And watching these people um, that selflessly give of themselves for the love of Christ rather than selfishly continue to take, you know, it... it it's completely countercultural, and it shows that there's a difference of people in lives. And so we see that. And so I hope you all have examples in your lives of people like this, just like Timothy did with his grandmother and his mother that, you know, continually put the Lord up front, continually talk about Jesus, continually show the grace, the mercy, the love, the goodness, the kindness, uh, all those things that are the fruit of the Spirit. And so... Uh, on to the second point, which 
um, is just simply verse 15. I know it says 15 and 16 on the back, but it's point um, 2, verse 15. God speaks through the Bible, making Christ known. Okay, so look at verse 15 here. Um, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Okay, so last week we talked pretty heavily about the Old Testament uh, supporting and showing, you know, the life of Christ in the New Testament. And we talked about the prophecy and how there's over 300 different prophetic quotations. I just gave you examples of 10 of them, like showing where the Messiah is born, showing how he will be born, showing what he will do, showing uh, how he will come into Jerusalem, showing how he will die, all these different things. The Bible continually points us to Christ in, in everything and the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And so this is really important. This is really important if you want to know who you are, but more so if you want to know who Christ is, who God is, and then who we are in light of who God is and who Christ is and how they, they work and they gel together. But uh, more so, the sacred writings will make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. And so this is why the gospel is always of first importance in everything, and that's also why it's the first name of our church, because hearing the gospel brings new life through the Bible, growing his church. And so, uh, wise for salvation and the gospel. So there's a lot to know. Um, I forget which theologian of age said it in the past, but very simply, the gospel is so simple that a child can understand it that Jesus Christ came and died for your sins, okay? But the gospel is also so complicated that men have donated, or, or committed, not donated, committed their entire lives to the study of Scripture. And there are some gentlemen who have donated, I keep saying donated, why would they donate anything? I'm going to donate my time to this. No, they committed their lives to one simple book of the Bible, and so this is what they do to understand word by word and phrase by phrase. And so um, I just want to throw this out there for you. The gospel is, is exceedingly huge, and there is a lot to know, uh, especially just about what God has done. So we did a, a series about a year ago, 10 Facets of the Gospel. And so uh, these words are all words that, as Christians, we ought to know to some degree to understand fully and to continue to learn what God has done. And so that is predestination, election, propitiation, regeneration, adoption, redemption, reconciliation, sanctification, justification, and the glorification of the saints. And all of these are in Christ, and all because of Christ, and all of the gospel. Like, we could spend a lot of time, like, each one of those words, we could probably do, very simply, an entire sermon series on. Uh, justification is about being declared righteous, whereas we've talked about redemption, which is being bought back with the costly price of what Christ has done. And then there's reconciliation, that we might actually have peace with God because we're at enmity with him in our sins, because we have a holy, holy, holy creator, and in him is no darkness at all, yet within us there's plenty of darkness to go around. In fact, we like to share it. <laughs> sometimes willingly, sometimes unwillingly, but we like to share it because there's just so much in us 
and it's just us, just the way that we are. And so that's just kind of the nature of it. And so there's, there's very much, and, and of course, God's speaking through the Bible in all of these facets, in all of this. Like we look at the Old Testament as a, a general whole. We've got uh, the first five books, which are the law. Then we have the wisdom literature. Then we have the poetry. Then we have the prophetic literature in there. Then we have narratives. Then we have historical narratives. And all of these things that have happened in the past, like we need to understand this too, that either this is the entire truth and the centrality of who God is, or this is a completely bogus book and it's not worth anybody's time. But I would, again, greatly lean toward the first thing because we've talked about how this is the indestructible and eternal truth of God. And much like all the other ancient literature that's out there, this book has stood the test of time, whereas the other literature has all gone by the wayside and it's very hard to find and, you know, things like that. You know, you think about uh, the, the old famous man Homer who did the Odyssey and the Iliad and things like that. Like, there were only a couple copies of that found, whereas the New Testament alone, there were over 17,000 copies of the New Testament found in the antiquities. So the farther we go back, like it's still just more and more and more and more and more prevalent. And so, <coughs> again, this point, very similar to the entirety of last week's sermon, is the fact that God speaks through the Bible, making Christ known about this, and as we continue to learn and to know more and more about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it continues to change our hearts and our minds for Christ. And remember also that when we talk about the heart and the mind, we're talking about uh, ancient Jewish culture, the heart being the epicenter of everything that you are. It's not just the simple love faction or things like that. It is the entirety of your being. And so the Bible transforms our entire being and our thoughts and our actions and everything else that goes along with that for Christ. And so it does us well to spend time in this, and we're going to get to this in the next point, but there's so much that goes on in this. And I don't want it to be law or moralism or legality or anything like that for you. My great hope and my great prayer is that the word is joy for you as God has made it joy for, for me to speak of, to, to stand here, to do something I've never really thought of or wanted to do before in my life, but was called to do this. And then it's just, it's, it's a continual growing in affection and it's a sanctification by the Holy Spirit. It's being made holy in Christ's likeness. And so the Bible being the tool because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. And so point three, verse 16 and 17. Uh, God changes lives for Christ, but if you know me and if you've been around me, uh, I tell people this all the time, Jesus changes lives. Like, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Jesus changes lives. Like, let's not mince words or anything like that. And so... Um, we look at this first part, and, and this is where uh, many men have, have talked about this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. And I want to stop there real quick. So all scripture being breathed out by God. We, again, uh, covered this last week when we talked about how Peter was an eyewitness to these events. So we have the eyewitness events uh, talking about the 
the life of Christ and the coming of Christ. We have the Old Testament and the Scriptures. And when he says all Scriptures here, he is referring to the New Testament as well as the Old Testament in this. And so it continually points us to Christ, right? And so all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's this eternal book. And if it wasn't a supernatural, eternal book, many a men would have destroyed it long ago because of all the persecutions and the sufferings and you think about what happened in the Roman Empire early on and what Christians had to endure and things of that nature. Like this book should be destroyed. It should be burned in a gazillion fires that they've had over the years of Bible burnings and things of this nature that we talked about last week. But I want to, you to think about it this way at the same time, and I hope the Holy Spirit will convict you and the challenge you. Because, because, maybe the issue that we don't spend a, a fair amount of time in the Bible or the Word or simply listening to other people is that we don't believe that theology will have any real effect on our lives, okay? But look at it this way. Think about this and roll with me here because this is really important for, for everyone listening as well as here. So in every area of our lives, when we believe something has real importance, we rise to the challenge, okay? Now, the reason why I can say that is because if you get diagnosed with a life-threatening illness, what are you going to do? You're going to learn and you're going to study about this life-threatening illness, right? If you get diagnosed with cancer and you're listening to a guy talk, he's going to talk over you. You're not a doctor. You don't know medical terminology. You don't understand it. You're like, holy cow, this is happening to me. You're shocked. You're, you're going through all these different range of emotions and thoughts and feelings and everything else that goes along with that. And yet, we'll go and we'll study about that, right? Okay. Same thing with money. Okay, like if we have a big expensive house repair and we need to find someone to fix it, are you just going to go with the first Joe Schmo that, that comes along? Are you going to research it? Are you going to try to find out, you know, maybe the best price? Are you, are you going to pay a guy $1,000 for an oil change? Like, you're not, right? You're not, because you're going to rise to the challenge. Same with our education, okay? Like, we need to go to school. Well, what school do I go to? Well, you know, you rise to the challenge to find out, well, this is really what I want to study. Now, if this school's really good at this type of uh, study and this type of, you know, I should probably attend this school. It just makes sense. Again, don't miss the point that in every aspect of our lives, when something that we deem is important that's going to have some value and some effect on us, we rise to that occasion. But, <laughs> this, this, this kills me. I have to be honest, this kills me. We don't when it comes to theology. We don't when it comes to theology. And why is that? I could give you a bunch of different speculation and a bunch of different answers, but I think the most important thing is I don't think it has any real effect on our lives. I don't think many of us might think that it really does have something to do with us now. Like we read that passage in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1 up there, that while physical training is of some value now, 
Godliness uh, is a value for the present life as well as the life to come. Now, do we not believe that? Do we not believe that the Word of God is, is important in our lives? Do we not think that way? And so, again, maybe the issue is we don't believe theology will have any real effect on our lives, but let me just give you a, a couple things here. Um, the Bible, and, and more so Jesus, um, comforts us when tragedy strikes because we know that there is a better way and we know that this is a small season in our life and then we know that God says in his word that he will not leave or forsake us in, in any of these circumstances. And he even tells us at the end of John chapter 16, take heart, in this world you will face many tribulations, but I have overcome the world. So there is an auto, there, not an automatic, there, there is a victory in Jesus. Like we're, we're worried about this war and, and fighting this war, but the side's already won and, and the battle's already won. And my Bible almost flew off the pulpit. <laughs> and so um, also, when waves, when waves of self-doubt swell, it anchors us. How many times, and especially those of you who um, work in a very secular job with a lot of people who are very anti-Christian and don't really care, don't want to hear anything like that, uh, there's a lot of times that, that, that doubt's going to swell in your mind and, and in your heart, really the epicenter of who you are. Now you're like, yeah, well, why am I really doing this? Or why do I per se believe these things? Or, or why, why are we here, in a sense? And so when this self-doubt comes, it kind of brings us back to that initial point that we talked about. Like, maybe we don't think this really has any effect on our lives whatsoever. But I'm going to tell you very differently that it does have a massive effect on your life now. Like, um, I have a friend that uh, isn't a believer, uh, but he has seen the lives of believers, and he has witnessed them, and he's talked with many of them, doesn't agree with them, but he's not insolent. He's not an insolent, haughty opponent. He's not going to immediately condemn you or whatnot. But what he does tell me and what he has told me about Christians is that those who are mature in Christ, like, they don't move. They don't shake. They are solid rocks. And when storms come, they know what to do. They know to still move forward in what they're doing, but they know also that this isn't the end and that there is a better way and that despite this storm in their life, there is an overwhelming peace of God in their lives that regardless of the situation and the circumstance that they're put into, like, again, my atheist friend has seen this and has told me this, like, like they are stout people that cannot be shaken. And so where does this faith come from? Well, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God because the Bible as a tool is, transforms our hearts and our minds for Christ. And so also adds meaning to a mundane life outside of Christ. I know we've talked about this a lot, especially in the life series and the gospel series. If your beginning of your life has no meaning, and when you die, it doesn't have any meaning, what you do in between doesn't have any meaning. 
you've completely taken the purpose of man out of life and that everyone should just be willy-nilly and just do whatever they want. Sing kumbaya, if you will. Um, but that's not the case. There are laws. There, there is a way. There is a design. And, and we know this. And so the Bible in, in Christ gives us purpose and meaning. And it also gives us substance and purpose for what we do every day, which is work, as well as rest. It gives us purpose for those, that there is a meaning. And then lastly, uh, it gives you the ultimate hope of God's kingdom in which to persevere and to walk towards. And again, I remind you that secular hope is nothing more than a wish, but biblical hope is confident expectation in Christ. And the power of that hope rests in the character of Christ, not in the flippant hope that we call a wish in the world. Like, I hope. So, I hope in Christ. Very simply. And so, uh, again, now we come to, to the bigger words of the teaching, the reproof, the correction, and the training in righteousness. But really, really, really think about this. Again, it's, I, I, like, we have Bible studies every week. We do this, and, and we love it. And we go through Scripture together, and honestly, the more people, the better, because as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another kind of deal. And so it very much works out that way. And so, again, like this whole theology, and, and it's not a law, but I would hope that the Holy Spirit will convict you and to guide you and to, uh, you know, push you along to continue to study God and his word in, in all of these things and not to be so easily swept away by the things that we do in the meantime. Um, again, you know, uh, physical values of training now, but godliness is a value now and the life to come. Like, you want to be an emotionally strong person? Um, Charles Spurgeon said it this way, when you see a Bible and, and it's really tattered and torn, like, you will see a very put-together person because they have gone through the Scriptures. They have read the Scriptures. They understand who they are. They understand what their Lord has done, but more so they understand the Lord in, in himself and then God's plan for life as, as who we are in light of who Christ is. And so praise be to God for that. And so I hope that we can continue to study the Bible and theology together and to put it on a plateau because I'm going to be very honest here too. Your spiritual life is so much more real and so much more important than anything you're doing right now. No joke. You can come after me for that because I know you're going to be like, well, what about raising kids and what about this and that and the other? I'm like, well, you're all individually accountable and your children are a blessing from God. Okay? Like, like nobody's promised that. It's, it's a blessing from God. And so your spiritual life versus your physical life takes massive precedence over because... Again, because of sin, because of brokenness, because of, there's no cure for human suffering, there's no cure for human evil, and there's no cure for death. But I tell you what, Jesus has a cure for all three of those, and, and, and he gives it if you can ever humble yourselves to be able to repent as well as to believe in your heart. You know, the, that's what God wants. That's what God wants from you, repentance and faith. And so he wants your trust. He wants your person. He wants your individual relationship. He wants you, okay? He wants you. He doesn't want your entire family, 
Hopefully he does. But he might not. But he's going to want you. And if he's got a hold of you, I hope you continue to give all of who you are to him. And so let's get, let's move on. Go to the teaching, okay? The word teaching here, chapter, or verse 16. So all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable. I hope you see how it was profitable. For teaching, so teaching in itself. Is this a book of morality? Is this a book of law? And so this isn't either of those. Yes, it has morality in it. Yes, it has law in it. But know that this is God's design. This was God's perfect way of living. And so here's kind of an interesting analogy for that, for, for teaching. And, and what's really important is that um, for many people out there, the, the, the teaching that you get only comes from a guy like me. Okay? You might listen to a sermon, um, might not. You might listen to something else. But for most people, the teaching about God comes from a pastor, priest, minister, uh, a family member, maybe a school, something like that. And so um, there's no problem with any of these sources, but you must know that, that these sources, um, if it's not grounded in the truth of the Scripture, in what God is, if it's not gone through exegetically and hermeneutically, uh, understanding the correct, you know, the, the cultural background, the historical background, the literary background, who he was writing to, you know, all these other different factors. I could make and spin an excellent story for you every week to just simply encourage you by taking different lines out of the Bible. There are over 770,000 words in the Bible. I could pick a couple thousand and make a really good story that make you all sound really good, right? Make you feel all warm and cozy inside. But I don't think you just want to feel all warm and cozy inside all the time, right? Like, you want the truth. You want the truth of who God is and who you are in light of God is and what our responsibility is and what the will of God is and all these other different factors that we think of or may not think of on a regular you know, basis in our lives. But if... If the pastors, the priests, the ministers, this is where it's important for you as an individual to check, to test us, if you will, to test the spirits that you may know that what I am saying is the truth of God's word and that was what God is saying because there are many, and this is exactly what's being talked about in this letter uh, to 2 Timothy, watch out for these false prophets who are going to twist and to turn and to make uh, different sense of it. Like we've talked about the prosperity gospel before. Like um, God loves you for sure, but God doesn't per se want you to be wealthy and to have you know jet planes and cars and other things like a lot of those prosperity teachers uh, you know proclaim and, and what they have and things of that nature. So um, watch out for those. It's 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 wrong because it's not in agreement with the teaching that God gives. So watch out for these wrong teachers. Uh, an example that the Bible uses uh, teaching the subject of salvation, right? Like there's a lot to know about salvation in itself. Again, very simple that a child can understand it. Well, Jesus died for my sins, but also very complex that men have dedicated their entire lives to understanding the scriptures and understanding the gospel and so on and so forth. So Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
And then Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. So, to be saved, it's not good works that saves you. It's the grace of God that saves you. It's the knowledge of uh, God to believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. Now, if your school, your pastor, your family supports something else, like whose teaching are you going to follow? Right, again, are you going to follow God's teaching or are you going to follow some guy's teaching? Like, because it could be completely misleading or led astray or not Christ-honoring, not God-glorifying. I could totally leave you in legalism, telling you that you have to do these things if you want to make God happy. Or I could completely put you in lawlessness and be like, well, Jesus did it all, so like, we can just go on and do whatever the heck we want to do when we want to do it and not have to worry about anything, right? Like, but neither of those are the correct answer because there is a way, there is a pattern, there is a path, there is the way, the truth, and the life, and he came to us as a person in Jesus, okay? So, um, very simply, just covering this, teaches us about Christ. So what does the Bible do? It teaches us about Christ. It teaches us about God's design. It teaches us about our place in his story or if you put those together, in history. Um, teaches about the dangers of the world and sin, and it also teaches us about the true sacrificial love and God's plan of redemption for the creation that he loves and the gospel in Christ Jesus. And so, um, very quickly, reproof. Moving on so that you understand what this, what this word is. So, you've been led to think that I have to do these things that in order to get salvation, okay? I have to do these works. I have to, to move on and to do these things. But, as we just learned from that, that it's not about works. It's about what God has done in the person and character of Jesus Christ. And so, as an example here, um, I took Ephesians 4.31 and then 4.32, uh, an example to go through it. So, reproof. Um, so, Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So, if I am bitter, if I'm wrathful, etc., the Bible tells me that this is wrong. Probably doesn't come as a surprise to anybody. <coughs> and do you know why it's wrong? Okay? Like, we'll be like, well, it's kind of wrong sometimes. But, but here's the thing. It's not because of the society or the moral system of the world or the way that the world defines things, but because God in his word defines it as wrong, okay? So we always have these things where we have subjective and then we have objective. And so the only objective truth that we have, which people still don't believe, is the truth of God's original design in the Bible and in his word. The subjective nature is everyone else's truth. Be like, no, that's my truth. Like, you can believe that, but I don't want to believe that. So situations and circumstances and your upbringing and your life all uh, leave you subjective to those situations and circumstances and the upbringing and the truth that follows along with that because uh, kind of monkey see, monkey do, like whatever our parents did, then our kids are going to do, and then whatever you do as a parent, then your kids are going to follow, and like the cycle of, of culture and, and sin continues on and on and on and on. But the Bible reproves us in the sense that, that this is God's way, okay? Not because the world says it's the right way, 
This is because of God's way. And then you tie into that correction, the very next thing. Um, so correction's an always necessary complement to the reproof. So like reproof, you know it's wrong, but the correction is to know the right way, okay? And so it was very clear in Ephesians 4, 31 and 42. Because <coughs> 4.31 says, let all the bitterness and wrath and anger go away. But 4.32 says, and then be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so the righteousness that's come to the believer by faith um, is by the training of God's word. In sum, the God-breathed word is profitable for all life, all doctrine, all duty, all creed, all conduct, all everything. Like, if you want to know God's original design and his plan, you have this amazing supernatural book that has withstood the test of time in front of you as God's eternal truth. My, my great hope, my great prayer is that people utilize it and can encourage themselves and be built up in the faith. Built up in the faith. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Like, if you don't do anything else for the rest of this with a week, I want you to think about it this way. As human beings, we physically need to eat, right? Like we eat three times a day, um, hopefully more, <laughs> depending on how much we like food or so on and so forth. And so you need to eat, okay? You need to eat. So you've got your spiritual life. And, and what happens if you don't eat, right? You wither and die. So very simply, on that same token, this doesn't come as a surprise to anyone, your spiritual life is the same exact way. You need to eat. You need to feed yourself. You need to eat. And if you're not eating, you're withering away and you're dying and you're not standing. And then when bad things happen, like they do and like they will, you're going to get washed away. You're going to get so pushed back and aside. All the waves of doubt are going to creep in. You're going to fall away. You're going to be like, this was, this was nothing. Because you're so faint, you're so weak, you're so tired, because you don't have anything to stand on. You don't stand on that solid rock that is Christ. You stand on your, your own wisdom and your own knowledge. Not God's wisdom and God's knowledge, but you're standing on your own, and, and it's, you're just going to be blown away. Because you're going to be like, I don't understand why this happens. I, it makes no sense. And so... All of it will make more sense the more and more we continue in the Bible as it transforms our hearts, our entire epicenter of who we are, our entire being as a person uh, in Christ. And then very lastly, the, this, this section here, like we've talked about the four words, but that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So... You need to know about the gospel in, in this more so than anything. And you need to know that, that the only way that we're complete is when we're complete in Christ. And it's not about us, our good works making us complete or anything like that, like some might be led to think here, but we can be equipped to be used by God to help others. Just remember the same thing as how we started this. Uh, what you have learned and what you firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it. Like, it is a great blessing to be used to encourage other people in our lives, right? Like, the Bible says it's better to give than to receive. And so to be used and to give of yourself and to be um, a beacon of light, to be the salts and the light of the earth and the world and everything else, um, we need to be complete in Christ. Let me just bring it all back down again. 
We need to be complete in Christ. You are not complete lest we are in Christ because there is a gigantic hole in your heart that you don't know how to fill. You're going to try to fill that gigantic hole with uh, relationships. You're going to try to fill it with drugs. You're going to try to fill it with your career. You're going to try to fill it with money. You're going to try to fill it with countless things. And it's going to be your idol. And when someone takes that idol away from you, you're going to hate them and you're going to want to kill them because that is who you are. It's your identity um, as a human being. But I encourage you to get your identity in Christ, to not have your identity wrapped up into your work or your, your family or your children or things like that because all these things are going to fail you at some point in time or another. Like when you're holding that baby, you never expect that you know, he might go to jail or he might be addicted to drugs, meth, heroin, you know, things like that. Like nobody expects that. They always expect the, the happy, shiny thing. But the reality is, is that the life is really, really hard. And when those storms come and when your heart breaks, because it's not an if, it really is a when, because this world and, and the brokenness that's in there, it might be your own fault, it might be the fault of someone else, but either way, like there's just so much that goes on, you know, side to side, back and forth. And so to be complete in Christ and to understand the gospel, that you might be a good work, that you might be equipped for those works, that you might understand what God would want you to do, that you might understand what the will of God is for your life as, as a human being. Um, and so also, very lastly, uh, this set the standard for proper regard for the scriptures of the Old Covenant. Uh, if you, we, we did Psalm 119, just a very brief portion of it. There are 176 verses in Psalm 19, and they're all about the, the glory of the word of God, the psalmist did. So what he did is 176 verses, Psalm 119, uh, to the celebration of the scripture. They used the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet as a structure. And in effect, he said, God's word is everything from A to Z. The scriptures are life. And the Bible transforms our hearts and minds for Christ, who is the giver of life. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible, it transforms your hearts and your minds for Christ. Um, it can be used. We, we see that it consistently points us to Christ, that is the eternal and indestructible truth, and that it is profitable. Like, we see that it's for teaching, it's for doctrine, it's for understanding all those different terms that we need to know about as what Jesus has done. And we also see at the same time that it's the inerrant word of God that is used to transform hearts and minds. So let me just finish before I keep rambling on. So dear Heavenly Father, uh, I just thank you for this morning. I just thank you for the, your word, Lord, that it really is the um, all-encompassing knowledge of, 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 of life. Like, sure, Lord, I understand that it doesn't answer every question, but at the same time, very much, it, it is useful for us and it is useful for our lives now. And so I hope that the Holy Spirit has convicted those that are listening, uh, both here and there and in the other states, that we need you, Lord, and that we need your word, and that we look for your blessing, because this world is hard without you, Lord. And so we give you our thanks and our praise, and just um, 
Let us sing your, 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 your glories, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.